Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This is a special podcast, a two-fisted podcast for two-fisted legal analysis drinkers. Uh, Adam White, who's a frequent contributor to the Weekly Standard, a lawyer with Boyd & Grain Associates, joins us here, uh, as does Jeff Anderson, uh, who's here with us as well, an executive director of the 2017 Project. And guys, a big ruling, slightly undermined, I guess, by another ruling. So we'll start with you, Adam. What is the status of the state versus federal exchanges uh, in front of the uh, courts? Well, I guess it depends on who you ask, Michael. First thing that happened this morning was the D.C. Circuit struck down the rules that the Health, uh, Health and Human Services Department had promulgated for subsidizing uh, federal exchanges. And then a couple hours later, uh, a federal court of appeals just down I-95, uh, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond, issued a ruling in the exact opposite direction, affirming the, uh, the HHS's regulations. And so we now have a split in the circuits, and it remains to be seen what happens next. You know, Jeff Anderson, this is why people hate lawyers, because you have one group who says, hey, the text of the ACA is what it is. The, the, uh, the subsidies shall be available from state exchanges. And then we have another group of lawyers who seem just as smart, saying, oh, absolutely not. This is no big deal. Make it up as you go along. Yeah, the one place I think that everybody agrees here is that the Obama administration and the Democrats who passed Obamacare clearly botched this language pretty horribly. I mean, it, it really is something to write a 2,700-page uh, mound of legislation and not get something as fundamentally uh, central to it right as this. You had, the, uh, you had the D.C. Circuit Court saying that the plain meaning of the, plain meaning of the text was very clear, that the subsidies could only go to, to, uh, to state-run exchanges, and, uh, and then you had the, the Virginia court saying that the statute is ambiguous and subject to multiple interpretations. And so they would go ahead and uphold the IRS ruling on, on those grounds. I mean, neither one of those is much of an affirmation of, of uh, the skill with which the Democrats wrote the uh, signature legislation of this, of this presidency. Yeah, but guys, this is what I, find I don't understand. You know, there's, it, I've, you know, we all know ambiguous. Every man who's had to talk his way out of a situation with a woman knows that you can say things that leave lots of potential meaning in the mind of the hearer. As a total non-lawyer, you read the section that's been in all the papers this afternoon or on the web this afternoon, and it seems pretty clear if you, you know, these the state exchanges run by the state. I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm asking, maybe we'll start with you, Jeff, is what is the argument for ambiguity? Well, I think it is rather clear. You know, the Congressional Research Service, a nonpartisan entity, also looked at this and said the plain meaning, plain meaning seems rather clear that uh, the language is written to not allow the subsidies to flow through the, the federally run exchanges. Um, the argument on the part of the administration has been, well, the thing really can't work like that, and surely we didn't write it in a way that we expected it not to work. So you should take, take sort of the totality of the legislation and and view it in a way that is necessary to make it work. And, I mean, I think what you really see here is a sort of, the left is, uh, talks a lot about believing in a living constitution, but they also believe in living legislation, in legislation that sort of morphs and molds uh, as they wish, and, and, uh, and that's kind of at root what the battle's about here, I think. You know, Michael, there were other arguments also in the, in the case that basically uh, the government pointed to other provisions sort of indicating that as a whole, the act intended to treat the state-based exchanges and the federal exchanges on par with one another. And, and again, the, le- the, the, the provision at issue is whether an exchange is, quote, established by the state. And the government's argument, which I think is rather convoluted, but it's their argument, was that, well, 
when HHS set up exchanges, it was it was standing in the shoes of uh, the state that it was setting up the exchange for. But even so, you'd have these sort of you know funny or uh, you know depressing moments, such as an oral argument in the D.C. Circuit, where the judge who wrote the majority opinion today, Judge Griffith, asked the Justice Department lawyer point blank. You know, in the case of West Virginia, where one of these plaintiffs was coming from, it has an HHS exchange. Who set up the exchange? And the government's lawyer's response was, the secretary of HHS has established the exchange, which you think would solve the case. But as you guys already noted, uh, you have the government and the, the dissenting judges or the majority in the Fourth Circuit saying, well, don't look so much at this provision. Look at the broader context. But, so what about the argument that the, uh, the source of the lawsuit itself and the conversation is all about just trying to stop Obamacare. And to those people out there who support either Obamacare or maybe just more broadly that they just want some sort of national health care system, they're saying all of this is, uh, you know, conservatives playing in the weeds away from where the real action is. Who cares if every jot and tittle is met in the language? Everyone knows what they were trying to do, and they're just out there trying to do it. How about that, Adam? Well... Of course, there are administration critics among the people challenging the law, but one of the things that's being lost in the debate for all the talk about subsidies is that, you know, the saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, that's the case here, too, because these exchanges, what's at issue is not just subsidies, but also penalties and burdens that come along with those subsidies. And so the people bringing these cases, as the courts, both courts explained, even the court that ruled ultimately in favor of the administration, both courts recognized that the individual plaintiffs were being burdened by the HHS rules in very direct ways, and that those injuries called out for at least some sort of judicial review. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing claim uh, to the extent that people are, are making it that uh, if you are an opponent of Obamacare, you cannot expect the law to be applied as written. Um, I mean, this is this is like much of the implementation of Obamacare. It's a it's a battle about the rule of law and whether we're going to abide by it. And uh, President Obama talked a lot about having a phone and a pen. And I think the D.C. Circuit Court here pretty much said that Obama is not allowed to take his pen and strike out the words established by the states. He can't just pretend that the legislation says something different than than what it says. And and it's also you know another point I'd like to raise is that. The government, the, the administration wanted uh, the court to look at legislative intent, which is uh, a little bit laughable when you had legislation where the Speaker of the House said, we have to pass it to find out what's in it. Right. But there is the intent. I, I guess people are asking today, okay, so let's say that you prevail, and we'll talk in a minute about wh what happens next, but let's say you prevail. What are you going to say to the millions of people who were getting federally funded, subsidized health care, who now are going to have those subsidies taken away, and their premiums are going to jump by 50, some cases I saw, maybe as much as 70, 75 percent. What do you say to them, Jeff? Well, I think where conservatives need to be on this is to have a, a clear alternative to Obamacare that is, is out there and available and say, all right, well, this, is, this should be the last piece of evidence anybody needs that, that this is a, a total mess. They couldn't even write it in such a way as to make it work. They've left these people kind of high and dry. Here's our alternative. Here's what we would do for these people after we repeal this monstrosity. And I, I do think it, it does spell out a need for, as this case continues to proceed, the conservatives need to be in a spot where they've got a solution, where they've got an alternative to Obamacare. Otherwise, it's going to be a situation where, let's say, the Supreme Court ultimately uh, rules against the Obama administration on this matter. 
I'm not sure it's such a slam dunk politically that a lot of Republicans will stand strong and say, well, look, it doesn't work. I think a lot of them will be um, tempted to fold or, or turn, turn the spigot back on and allow the subsidies to flow by passing new legislation. You know, Adam, that is interesting. We've got two guests on our podcast for the first time. Could we be looking at a moment where Republicans, for the first time, can do two things at once, which is simultaneously make the argument that if laws don't mean what the words say they mean, then you don't have laws and you end up with craziness. And simultaneously, since this law doesn't work, here is an alternative to make sure that people who can't afford the insurance they need get some help to get the coverage that they need. I think that's right. I think we can do that. And I think, you know, the, the, not to go back to the founding fathers, but for me, I draw inspiration, I think, from Alexander Hamilton, who, who called for not just energetic government, but he recognized that energetic and limited government would also be competent government. And right now, we have a government that may, may not be energized, but it doesn't seem very competent, and it certainly doesn't seem very limited. And I think the Republicans have an opportunity to uh, offer an alternative in the Hamilton tradition. The uh, question now is, where does this case go? Will there be a, an en banc ruling from the D.C. Circuit? Will they get everyone together? Or because of the Richmond ruling, will everyone decide, this is going to go to the Supreme Court anyway, why bother? Adam? Adam? Well, as soon, well, shortly after the D.C. Circuit issued its decision against the administration, Justice Department lawyers reportedly announced that they'd seek en banc review. Namely, they'd ask the full court of 11 judges, not just the three that heard the initial case, the 11 judges to, to rehear the case. And if the court were to take that case up, uh, if you just count noses in terms of which president appointed which judges, uh, the Democrats would have a pretty substantial advantage. There's seven Democratic appointees versus four Republicans. But then a couple hours later, obviously the Fourth Circuit ruled in the other direction. And uh, now that we have what's called a circuit split, it's not hard to imagine that the challengers in the Fourth Circuit might decide just to go to the, straight to the Supreme Court. Perhaps the Obama administration will decide to take that route, too. It's hard to say. But with this important of a statutory issue and a split between the circuits, the odds of Supreme Court review have now uh, increased substantially. And so, Jeff, it goes to the Supreme Court. Hasn't the Supreme Court already decided this? Didn't uh, Justice Roberts invent the magical tax law loophole for Obamacare? No, I don't think that's uh, true at all, Michael. I mean, I think um, I think this is a very different sort of case for the Supreme Court. That uh, the original Obamacare case in 2012 was a question of whether the legislation was unconstitutional, and and in fact the court did say that parts of it were unconstitutional. That the individual mandate was unconstitutional under the Commerce Clause power. They saved it only just by a thread by saying it, it could qualify under the taxing power. They said that part of the Medicaid expansion. Uh, was was unconstitutional as written but but in general they were not willing to throw the entire thing out or, or even most of it but this is a, another matter altogether where they would just be asked to to say what does this law actually say it's it's a case that would involve just applying statutory language to the case at hand it's not a constitutional challenge and i think there's a very good chance that the court will say look the text is pretty plain here this is a, a country that, that, that is, a, is a country of laws, not of men, and we, we will go by what the law says. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but I, I would lean that way. Adam, are you I'm leaning going, the same way? Well, I'd say in looking to the Supreme Court, if they do take the case up, the interesting precedent to keep an eye on is not so much the individual mandate case. Instead, it's a case that was decided a few weeks ago, a case you and I discussed, the greenhouse gas case, where the EPA, much like HHS here, 
argued to the court that certain provisions of the Clean Air Act just weren't really workable in the context of greenhouse gas regulation, and the agency should just enjoy discretion to more or less sidestep those restrictions. Uh, the court struck down those rules. It, uh, it pushed back against that argument, and their basic point was that an agency cannot rewrite clear statutory terms to suit its own sense of how the statute should operate. That's a line from that EPA case that the D.C. Circuit quoted this morning. Um, ultimately, this is, it's a question of what sort of administrative state do we want to live under? Do we want to have agencies who, when faced with problems in their regulatory programs, decide to just sidestep or ignore statutes, or do we want agencies that have to go back to Congress and ask Congress to fix the problem. Now, the D.C. Circuit said this morning that Congress needs to fix, if there is a problem, it's up to Congress, not the courts, to fix it. That was the message of the EPA case a few weeks ago, and it's interesting to see if we see it again from the Supreme Court in this litigation. Guys, this is a terrific experiment. We are, I feel twice as smart by having the two of you as part of this podcast. And I had plenty of room to grow, so this is a good thing. Jeff Anderson, uh, Adam White, thanks so, so much for joining us for this weekly Standard Podcast. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.